Hello, everyone. What time is it? It is uh, one past one. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the Promotional More Practice live chat here on MMAfighting.com for this February 10th, 2016. Not six like I normally say. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. Lots to get to today. 90 minutes of your questions and comments. Um, we're going to get to John Jones and his uh, issues, uh, relatively minor that they may be. Uh, news just broke from my colleague before we went live here from Ariel Hawani that um, Phil Brooks, also known as CM Punk, is having to have his UFC debut delayed because of back surgery, which is interesting. Um, we'll get to that as well. We'll get to the fact that we just passed UFC Fight Night 82. No big fights this weekend, but you have Bellator coming up. You have another UFC event on that same weekend coming up. Um, you got a lot of stuff going on. So we'll get to all that, all your questions, all your comments, and more. Best place to do that, of course, MMAfighting.com. Comments that turn green, get priority but not exclusivity. If you're watching this, please give it a thumbs up, like it, share it on any kind of social media channel you got, whatever, whatever's out there, please uh, contribute. That would be great. Really appreciate that. Um, as you know, I like to drink a customary diet soda. I'm still rifling through what Hunter gave me, the code red with its own version of disgusting deliciousness. That is sublime. All right. With that out of the way, uh, let's get to these questions. All right. First up, I think Carlos Condit versus Steven Thompson makes all the sense in the world right now. What do you think, and who would you take in a five-round fight? I mentioned this briefly on my post-fight um, Facebook Live video that I was doing, that you know, there's not a lot of fights where you would say Thompson's out outmatched anymore. Um, the Condit fight is interesting because I could see him getting chewed up. The difference for me, though, is that Condit takes a punch extraordinarily well. Um, he could He has the reach to catch Thompson backing out. He's still got good hand speed himself, good explosive explosive uh striking generally to the, not, i mean not 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 in a crazy way but a good enough way and he would just be able to hang around in there and it would take a lot for thompson to hurt condit it wouldn't take a lot for condit to hurt thompson however thompson would seemingly land on condit a lot more so that would be a really really interesting one to see in terms of who takes it i don't know i have to think more about it and, and do a little bit more tape study but um Certainly, that is a fight that makes sense for the division. It's a fight that makes sense for both those guys. I don't know if Condit wants it anymore, right? Only the title fight really kind of interests him at this point, he said previously, but maybe he can be coaxed back into something like this for um, the right kind of opportunity. But either way, a fight with Condit and Thompson, you know, Maya would be a tough one for Thompson, just stylistically, but I still would want to see it. I mean, let's, if you're really a contender, let's see what you got. Um, and then you have Rory out there. Those four guys... Let's see, Rorty, Thompson, Condit, and Maya. Woodley, I suppose, is thrown in there as well, but those four more, those four competing against one another interest me a little bit more um, than the alternatives. But certainly Woodley is hovering in that space as well. All right, Luke, let's talk John Jones. So I don't care if John Jones got into a legal problem again. I mean, it's Jones we're talking about. But what I cannot, can't understand is how on earth Jones got a driver's license after what he did last April. I lost my license one time when I drove by a red light, so that's why I'm so I'm kind of so shocked that he still got one. And when you are on probation like Jones, don't you go to jail if you do something illegal again? So um, hmm. 
So here's how I understand what's happened here. There's a couple of different parts here. Let's work backwards. Driving without a license, even if you have a physical license, um, it, it is any kind of minor traffic infraction for which you are cited, um, speeding ticket, parking ticket, something like that, in most states, virtually all of them, this is not considered to be an offense worthy of having a uh, probation revoked. There might be there might be extenuating circumstances where that does happen. Generally speaking, that's not the case. Most judges are not that, um, you know, uh, punitive. So when Jones put on that Instagram video saying, you know, they're talking about tickets, uh, that that's that's what he was getting at. Um, to your point about not getting, or, you know, you lost your license. I'll tell you this. Uh, so we all know what happened on September 11th, 2001. On September 7th. 2001 i was in full uniform in court for a speeding ticket and i lost my license now i didn't have an attorney i simply begged for mercy in front of the court and you saw how well that worked i would imagine if i had gone to court on say september 12th that i would not necessarily have gotten a ticket although you know you never know but the point being was you didn't mention if you had an attorney with you or to what extent your attorney argued for you or what other you know extenuating circumstances there may have been there to cause you to lose your license but the point to me about john jones is as follows this is why i thought it was his instagram video was bizarre to put it mildly look you guys know i've been a pretty clear defender of him for any number of reasons for any number of ways uh, although his most recent you know issue that caused him to get probation i don't think there's any defense of it any capacity whatsoever but um i thought his instagram video was sh- surprising shocking strong word surprising it's like he's right that most infractions of what he's talking about don't really cause any kind of issue with your probation, especially if you are licensed and let's say you did forget your your wallet at the gym or something. You know, they're, they're, they'll cite you for not having it, but this is not something they're going to you know put you in jail for. They don't want you to go to jail, probably. They want you to be able to work outside of those um, more serious confines. However, for someone like Jones, who has had any number of issues behind the wheel, including the time he wrecked his Bentley, including this time here where he had the hit and run, including any, any number of incidents I bet we don't even know about related to speeding or anything else. But the point being is even if we just work on um, verified information, we have enough to conclude that as good as John Jones is fighting in a cage, he is that bad behind the wheel. He sucks at driving. He sucks at everything that relates to getting in a car and being behind the wheel. Even his own manager jokes you know, having to sit shotgun while John's in the car. And they're just joking. I understand that. And again, John, John didn't really do anything of the, of the level that would ha- cause a revocation of his probation. But, but for him to be surprised, it's like, John, it's like, Jones, you have conditioned the fan base to be nervous and apprehensive about any offense you have in general. That's especially true as it relates to driving behind the wheel of a vehicle. And you're acting surprised that people want to dig in further when we find out during your probation you got cited for failure to have a license. Now, there was incomplete information there. And once the information was complete, the larger picture looked much more favorable for John. Okay, fine. But that's what journalism is about. It's about reporting what you know and um, making sure you get the full and complete story, which is exactly what happened. Uh, maybe not in a way that would have been more pleasing to John, but, you know, the our obligation and media's obligation generally is not to please um, the subjects by which we cover. That that if you do that, you'll have a very bad site. 
So you can't do that. You have to do the job generally. And I just thought it was like amazing to me that he was surprised people would be triggered into thinking that there could be something more serious going on. It's like you had two life altering events, potentially life altering one of them really bad that didn't happen all that long ago, uh, less than a year ago. And when we hear you have another infraction, however minor, behind the wheel of a vehicle, we are absolutely justified in being suspicious. I don't see how that's controversial at all. Not from anyone from our vantage point. John's vantage point, I can understand. Hey, this is tickets. Okay, great, John. But anytime you're behind the wheel and there's a headline about it, we're going to get, you know, our spidey sense is going to tingle. That's that's the way he has conducted himself in such a way that that is, an, that is a completely natural response to what he has done how fast does canelo finish con my guess is if the speed of con isn't some major x factor well we know it'll be a, a factor but if it surprises us to the point it becomes a a dominant factor um for con if that doesn't happen and that's not the likeliest thing to happen i say canelo finishes him within within six Which you might say makes the value of the fight bizarre at best and not worth our time. Uh, maybe, but um, how much Canelo's power uh, interacts with Khan's speed is, again, I think Canelo will have the advantage there. Like, over, it'll overwhelm whatever speed advantage Khan enjoys, but still worth paying attention to. All right. Uh, Jones versus Cormier 2. In light of the upcoming Jones versus Cormier rematch, let's do some true-false. True-false. It will not go to a decision. Hmm. That's a tough one. I will say false. It will not go to a decision. That's true. It will not. There will be at least one eye poke. <laughs> I'll say true. Mike Goldberg will say embrace the grind at least once during the fight. You can bet your mortgage on that. True, false. The upcoming promotional practice t-shirt will emulate the UFC stickman shirts. No, I am not trying in any way to emulate bad things. I may in the end do that, but that's not what I'm trying to do. All right, here's a long question. So let's see if we can get to this here a little bit. Luke, only a couple of years ago, wrestle boxers were, were the... Okay. Y'all need to proofread these questions. Luke, only a couple of years ago, wrestle boxers were some of the most formidable opponents to face and nearly all held uh, championship belts in 2014. Decorated collegiate wrestlers like Weidman, Velasquez, Mendez, Bader, Palmer, Cummins, Halsey, and now Hendricks have all lost their last fights to strikers. Recently, you mentioned that MMA is starting to become more predicated towards boxing fundamentals such as timing, footwork, and movement. Fighters like McGregor, Rockhold, Holm, and Thompson all seem to share a wide stance to effectively gauge the distance of their opponents and proceed to pick them apart at range. There are also hybrid fighters like Cruz, Dillashaw, Mighty Mouse Johnson who have all have strong wrestling base and an equally effective stand-up game that is heavily based on complex footwork. Question, are we witnessing a new age of strikers that develop their skill set towards solid takedown defense and precise counter-wrestling. Again, this is... The way you asked the question, I think, is the most interesting part about it. Because you asked, 
is this the end of wrestlers? Now, certainly, I don't think it's going to be the end of wrestlers generally. There's there's such a great overlap for them. A lot of them get done early enough with their scholastic wrestling that there's still time to become great mixed martial artists. So, no, it's not the end of wrestling. And for the strikers, it's not some new wave of where they're all of a sudden all, all going to take over. What it is, um, and what you're talking about here is the things I've already highlighted in previous chats, how much more movement it takes precedence how much uh, how much better footwork has gotten how much uh better the fundamentals of the two combining how to position your body how to measure distance all of these things people have become more adept at but it's not the end of wrestlers what it is is the um how do i say this exactly wrestlers may no longer be the dominant paradigm in 10 years but wrestling's influence as a function of someone's game will be as strong as ever. Stephen Thompson's striking has probably gotten better since he's been in the UFC, but only marginally so. What's gotten better is his the mainstreaming of his wrestling into the larger part of his game. That's what's gotten better. Um, he has taken what wrestlers had an advantage over him and made it part of his arsenal. So when you say the end of wrestlers, it's not the end of wrestling. It's the end of wrestlers, and it's not the end of wrestlers either. But, I mean, it's it's less of a focus on here are these guys who have this major advantage. What you've seen with MMA wrestling is it's been, I won't say boiled down, but there's been there the best practices, the ability to get it from good coaches, the ability to get better at it has all accelerated. The ability to get access to trainers has gotten better. The ability to train what you need to and not train what you don't need to has gotten better. An understanding of the common scenarios where wrestling is going to um, you know, be a part of your MMA fight has gotten better. Um, all of the things that are required to get better at wrestling for MMA purposes, um, the development of them has accelerated at a tremendous rate. Stephen Thompson has the money to find sparring partners. He's got sparring partners like Chris Weidman. Chris Weidman has very good MMA takedowns. Um, and he understands exactly what the scenarios are that are going to be there and what are not going to be there. When you add in those extra elements of someone like Stephen Thompson, if you watch the Monday Morning Analyst, there's one takeaway you have from the whole thing is the guy's timing is sublime. Wow, it is good. When you add in the kind of timing that he has, when you have in such a fantastic ability to measure distance and move your body around it, these guys like Michael Venom Page, you know, he can't fight in his upcoming fight for whatever reason. I'm not exactly sure what the problem is. But um, someone like that, now he's a little bit more flamboyant with it, but he's got a tremendous sense of range. These guys just understand they can spot. And the funny part about range is that I saw guys in the military being able to do that. Now, not with their hands necessarily, but they could spot something in the distance and they could just really tell you that's 200 meters, that's 700 meters, whatever it was. And they were able to make, and if you were either shooting pistols, rifles, or howitzers, they were just, they were just superb. At, at understanding how to negotiate distance and what that distance was simply based on eyesight. You know, we always talk about, well, the boxing fundamentals of movement and everything else. I think guys like McGregor or trained, you know, boxers like Holly Holm or whatever the case may be, they've got a really keen, I think partly natural ability to measure distance with eyesight that they hone over time with the particular skill sets they pick up. 
you know, and the, the ways in which they train their body around it. That to me is, is a, is a, is a very clear, uh, advantage that they enjoy. So the end of wrestlers as these guys who can just come over at age 22 and just start dominating everyone, I think there will always be some kind of pipeline just because of the way everything works out. They're done by 22 for the most part. Um, and and there's, that's still time to get really good at MMA for now. Um, and you know if they train striking a little bit in college, they can probably, uh, and even before that, if they take part in martial arts, they can do a lot with that. So um, to me, it's, it's just the normalizing of wrestling it's not a crutch it's not something they can do a little bit go back and you watch steven thompson he is comfortable in all those positions that johnny hendrix put him in johnny hendrix was able to close the distance early and and at every interval um thompson had an answer even with the early part where he was getting pushed over and getting his hips scooted he could still do a lot with it it was very very impressive uh wonder boy thompson and anthony pettis Luke, Stephen Thompson and Anthony Pettis are dynamic strikers who share a karate-taekwondo style, respectively. As of late, Pettis has looked a bit lackluster in his stand-up game, losing decisions against RDA and Eddie Alvarez. Thompson, on the other hand, has never looked better after easily dispatching Johnny Hendricks with a quick KO finish on Saturday. How would you compare both fighters' abilities, and what technical aspects can Pettis learn from Wonder Boy and enhance his skill set? Well, I, I don't think that you know pettis needs to watch thompson and say wow there's so much more he's better at than me there are different kinds of fighters with different kinds of ability i think if, if you just go back and you watch the alvarez fight as some have pointed out you can make a case that alvarez lost but okay he didn't in real life he won um for me it was if you look at the difference between thompson thompson has his hands down one because he's expecting a bit of a takedown two that comes more natural to him depending on some of the kinds of competition he's had previously but three more than that he's on the balls of his feet all the time he's always bouncing always bouncing always bouncing you know i'm no tennis pro but i have, i know a buddy who was low level and he was telling me when you're expecting a serve watch their feet watch the person who is receiving the serve they're not jumping up and down but their feet never stay static they never stay static you see that in american football where their feet are static or in you know competitive cross country race not cross country but you know track because they have to explode off the off the off the gate, but um, or off the off the line of scrimmage, but but mostly, if you want to be ready, ready to react laterally, forward, back, if you want to be able to move in the way you need to move, your feet have to be constantly moving. And it's a wrestling drill where they tell you um, they'll go for like three minutes, and they'll tell you just move your feet constantly up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Then they'll go sprawl. And you got to sprawl and get right back. And then you go right back to moving your feet, moving your feet, moving your feet, sprawl. And you might see that in um, football too, right? Well, they'll do up-downs, same kind of thing. But the, there, there's, a, there's a purpose to that. One, it gets your body conditioned to, you know, your lower back to get it all where it needs to be. But more than that, it's like you, if, you, if you see someone flat on their feet, um, you know, typically speaking, unless they're heavyweights and even then, they're going to they're gonna be limiting what they can do probably for the most part. There are going to be obviously some circumstances where that's not true. But but you just go back and you watch that Pettis and Alvarez fight, and man, he just he just it, it 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 seemed like a lesser version of himself. I think that he has all the skills he needs. He doesn't have to borrow from anybody else. It's just getting back to what he was doing better before. Um, now I do think Thompson might have a better eye for distance than Alvar uh, than Pettis. Pettis sometimes will whiff on shots, even in boxing range, uh, in a way that sometimes um, Thompson doesn't. Nevertheless, though, the bigger issue to me was that he was abandoning the things he was good at to fight in a way that was defensive from a mindset um, and 
that was good enough to hang on and not get put in horrible spots all the time, but it offensively muted him in a way that just made everything, you know, it's again, Thompson's ability there was not merely stuffing the takedown, but getting off the cage easier said than done. But if you don't have it, you're just not lethal. You got to be able to strike the way you want to strike, not merely have enough space to throw a punch uh, or, or, uh, you know, a, a sequence that you don't, necessarily favor but it's the only one that works here you got to be able to punch on your terms strike on your terms and i think there's a certain freedom that stephen thompson enjoys as a function of how good his takedown defense has become and how well he manages real estate between two things gary tonin versus husamar palhares how crazy is that matchup who are you thinking it's a little crazy because husamar is going to be a lot bigger than him Gary in person is Chiqui Tico. He did a seminar at uh, my school, and um, he's a small person. Not tiny, but he's not big. So Pajaras is going to be a lot bigger. But Gary's quicker. Gary's much more technical. Gary's much more developed with the position. Um, you know, Husamar, if he gets a hold of something, he's got the ability to crank in a way that no one else does. But I would be surprised um, if, if Tonin really gets run over here. I'd be very. I'd be surprised if he loses altogether. To be perfectly honest, I just find him to be much, much, much more technical. Um, it's much smaller, but much more technical, and much more nuanced with everything from Ashigarami on. He's he's got a much keener understanding of this position and the kind of attacks that are um, employable there. Uh, Hendricks's mistakes. Both you and other analysts have talked a lot about how great Thompson's performance was, and rightly so. But could you take a negative perspective for a moment? I can't believe people were asking me to go negative and talk about some of the things that Hendricks did wrong. Why was it, for instance, that he was unable to effectively close the distance? And are these flaws that he has always had in his game, or was it specifically Thompson who forced him to um, to make bad decisions? You know, it's interesting. Um, when you say, what did he do wrong? Well, if you lose, and I mentioned this before when I talked about Sage Northcutt on two previous Monday morning analysts, for example, if you get submitted, you did something wrong. Like you clearly made some bad choices, again, whether you're a white belt or a black. Um, and the same goes for an MMA fight. If you get finished, something went wrong. Now, it could be as, as minor as, you know, they threw a shot with their eyes closed and it just happened to connect. Okay, you know, there's not a whole lot to correct there, really, but. In this particular case, this was this was a clinic, and so there's a lot. But look, and I mentioned this during the home Rousey fight too. You could say, well, what did Rousey do wrong? Well, some pretty clearly identifiable things. The question was on that night with the preparation that she had, did she have the ability to pivot to another kind of game at which she is equally adept at employing that would have carried fewer consequences? I don't think so. I don't think she had any other ability. I think that's you looked at the totality of her ability. Uh, or not the totality, but pretty close to the totality of her ability in in, the, in that kind of scenario. Hendricks likes a forward plotting style like that, and he likes two guys to circle each other in the middle and bang it out. And then sometimes he likes to put guys against the fence and bang on them on top a little bit using his wrestling and then using that wrestling to then faint and create other opportunities when the two guys are circling. It's just, a, it's a completely different, I mentioned it before, he likes it when guys fight in a way that is accommodating of that style. Carlos Condit, to an extent, to an extent, is accommodating of that, although, of course, that forces Hendricks to wrestle. Certainly, Robbie Lawler is accommodating of that. George St. Pierre was accommodating of that only because he had issues securing the takedown. Um, 
it's when guys don't accommodate that at all he's sort of lost. So you could say, well, what could you do differently? Well, he did double right hooks the first time as Thompson was circling out to cut off the cage. He did a much better job of it and was able to drive that left side underhook. Okay, that worked out well. But from there on out, once he was able to create space, Thompson was, um, he was, Hendricks simply didn't have the ability to get in close enough to shoot or get in close enough to do really much of anything. And I would say, well, how would you beat someone like Thompson? Well, either your takedowns have to be phenomenal and your closing distance has to be phenomenal, or you got to make them come to you. You know, you got to make him, you got to be able to counter. Every time Thompson threw something, all Hendricks did was block it back up and then would walk forward again. But when he would walk forward again, what would happen? He would get chewed up over and over again. This is exactly what would happen. So he was just kind of a little bit predictable in the way things happened. Um, he was a little bit linear. You know, there was just he, – he, he was just covering up until he thought he had a moment, and he didn't, and he just created more opportunities for counter. It'd be one thing if you blocked and then countered, or that if you baited Thompson out into a punch, got out of the way, and then cracked on him, and then made him second guess. But he was just out there on the, on, on the perimeter just lighting him up. With 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 impunity, you know that's just not a way to fight that guy. You gotta, you have to, you have to. What does he like to do? He likes to dance with space. So that's what you have to take away. Now, how do you do that? Any number of different ways, I suppose. But if he's d- doing that, you're you're in trouble. If he's on the move, pot shotting and circling, pot shotting and angling out, you're in trouble. You know, when when he would come forward and you saw Thompson do this all the time. I noted on the Monday morning analyst. He would step out to his left, fire his right, it would connect, and then he would fire with at least another left, sometimes another left, and then another right, and then a head kick. To Hendricks, all he was doing was covering up and backing up. He never he never used that moment to dive in for a takedown. He never used that moment to 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 counter in any kind of capacity, to get out of the way himself. And he was I don't know if he was backing up straight, I'd go back and watch the tape, but you get the idea. It's just it was just so accommodating of the way Thompson want to fight because that's the the way that Hendricks fights is accommodating to to Thompson. The way that Thompson fights is not accommodating to Hendricks. That's a bad matchup for Hendricks. Not one I saw coming, but in the end, no denying what the tape showed. Romero drug violation loophole. What punishment do you think Romero will receive? People have been asking a lot about this. Everyone's like, "Oh, tainted supplement, tainted supplement," guys. It, I don't know if you know this or not, and many of you do, but maybe you don't appreciate this fact. You should talk to anybody who's ever worked at a supplement company because they'll tell you this. The Food and Drug Administration does not regulate supplements. If you go to your local GNC, pick up any creatine monohydrate, pick up any androstene, pick up pick up anything they sell virtually, and there'll be a warning label on there that says these statements are not evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration or you know, basically that we don't know this is true. So buyer beware. And a lot of what you buy, if you just buy like the twin labs, creatine monohydrate, this is fairly straightforward. There's probably not a whole lot in there, but the point being is you see a lot of these companies mixing creatine with, you know, I don't know if they're mixing with pro hormones, but they're doing all different kinds of ways that they're trying to maximize cellular absorption of creatine or I'm, I'm picking on creatine but there's any number of other ones you can pick from where 
there's all kinds of nasty stuff in there that we don't know about. And you're saying, well, this is probably rare, maybe an errant bottle or two. No, it is common. It is rampant. It is a rampant problem. You can go to your local GNC, and not only will there be stuff that you know on the label that this is banned under certain athletic competitive uh, conditions, but more that it won't be on the label and it'll still be tainted because none of that stuff is evaluated. The government does not check any of that. Now, we can have a different debate about what kind of federal oversight there should be of the supplement industry, but I'm not telling you Romero did or didn't do anything, and I'm also not telling you that if you take something, you're not responsible for it. Certainly you are. But I just want to point out something. The incidence rate of a, of a and let's talk about the one specific scenario, of a supplement you're taking not listing what could actually be in there is significantly higher than what you think it might be. Significantly. It's a real problem. It's, it may, and I'm telling you, it's a real problem. Um, there's all kinds of stuff, over-the-counter OTC stuff you can buy that suffers from this kind of di- dilemma, and, or not dilemma, I should say, but dynamic. Um, it's real. It's absolutely real. It's, and it's not rare or uncommon. It is very common. I bet you, I bet you that there's not one GNC store that if you checked every bottle or every tub, even if it's whey protein, um, that there wouldn't be one, one of them at a minimum that had something totally banned, not listed in the thing, not listed on the list of ingredients. I guarantee it. I bet you can go to every single GNC or vitamin shop in the country and it would be that way. To say nothing of the systemic production of a line of um, supplements where it's intentionally spiked and not listed because they're trying to give you an extra boost and they're not, they're not, you know, they'll find some sort of legal workaround to not have to list it. Oh, we didn't know. We're bad. Our bad. Because no one's checking this stuff before it goes to the uh, consumer in any kind of real demonstrable way in a real regulatory environment. So I don't know what Romero did. We'll see what happens. But I- I'm just trying to tell you that if a fighter gets on Instagram or social media and says, I'm telling you, I didn't take anything. I just took this, and this isn't even banned by USADA. Maybe they're drug cheats. Maybe they're liars. But it is entirely conceivable to me that they easily could have been bamboozled. It's a huge problem. It's a huge, huge problem. Early prediction, Connor versus RDA. Who do you pick to win tonight? Everyone gets all bitter at me because I changed my picks. If you watch this chat, I say it over and over again. I reserve the right to change my mind up until I put a prediction in formally in written form, and then that's my prediction. So for this one, you know what my prediction is? I'm now I'm I'm not sure again. (laughs) I was like RDA at first. Then I was like, nah, I was watching some tape on RDA. I was like, nah, Connor's going to catch him because he doesn't move his head enough. And now I'm like, I don't know if that's going to matter. So I'm, I'm back to neutral. I'm back to I'm back to I have no earthly idea what's about to happen between these two. So there you go. Uh, here's what I know: I've been spectacularly wrong about Conor McGregor over and over again. So keep that for what it, keep that in mind as we go over these. If McGregor beats Dos Anjos, is it in the realm of possibility that Conor could fight GSP at 200? You know, I've said no about everything Conor, 
forever and ever, but I don't think that would be crazy anymore. I really don't. If he can beat Dos Anjos, and let's say he crushes him, you know, I'm not saying to get beat for four rounds and then, you know, stops a tired one in the fifth. That would not lead to a welterweight. But, like, if he goes in there and just easily handles him, sure. Uh, I personally think Cejudo is the guy to finally give Demetrius Johnson a run for his money. I have a very hard time believing that. I have a very hard time believing he's going to be able to corner Mighty Mouse. I have a very hard time believing he's going to be able to get Mighty Mouse down and keep him down. I have a very hard time seeing how Cejudo wins this fight. Cejudo has almost no finishing ability that we've seen. He's got great fundamentals, but basically has one kind of attack. Not going to work against Demetrius Johnson. Unless he adds some wrinkles to his game that we haven't seen yet. Um, I think Brian Sam makes a great point that, you know, when you look at Cejudo and the Olympics he went to at, I think he wrestled at what, 57 kilos? He wasn't expected to win, which is true. And in really all, his, I think in all of his matches, he came from behind to win all of them. Um, okay, fair enough. You know, the, he, there is certainly a demonstrated record of rising to the occasion, and he is obviously a phenomenal athlete and the best pure wrestler, um, certainly in that division, if not many, many divisions. But in terms of the MMA skills, Demetrius Johnson works range, and, we're talking about all the time, works range and distance and has a variety of attack that I simply think Cejudo is utterly unprepared for. But we'll see. In regards to DMCA notices and Zufa pulling down content, recently the uh, recently Zufa have become more militant in policing their content online. Let me just take a step back here. They have not become more militant. This is how militant they always are. They have always been this way. If you don't have permission to post a GIF and you post it on your site, Trust me, you're going to hear about it. This has been happening for years, for years. We're just at an age now where there's more footage online than there ever has been. The analysis game um, is bigger and better than it ever has been. The fans using the tools of iMovie and Final Cut Pro to make their own highlights is, uh, is more robust in a way that it's ever been. But if you're asking how militant the UFC is and taking down content, this is not a spike. This is not an increase. This is quite standard. This is very, very common with what they've been doing since at least 2006. And removed videos of prominent analysts and highlight creators from YouTube. Instead of fighting this movement and content creation, wouldn't it make sense for the UFC to co-opt it instead? They could make an area to upload fan-created content on Fight Pass and use an ad model similar to YouTube to monetize this content and allow creators to profit as well. Then once the cream rises to the top, they can promote the best content on YouTube through their own channels, allowing them to control over the content and message that they desire while also adding value to Fight Pass subscriptions. Your thoughts? This would be a phenomenal opportunity for them. I absolutely think they should co-opt it rather than just hammering fans. There's all kinds of ways. We talked about it, soft power and hard power. UFC really only seems to respect hard power, not soft. Um, but this is a case where soft power, what I think would do them quite well, frankly, would add value to Fight Pass too. Um, and their own, I mean, their YouTube channel is pretty robust as it stands, but, you know, would, would add even more um, to, to what they have there. But this is, they really kind of believe our stuff, don't touch it. And that's the end of the conversation. For the most part, there is some difference to that. I believe that they hired, I heard, I haven't confirmed this. I believe that they hired that guy, Nick the Face, who used to make these unbelievable fight promos. Um, I understand that they may have actually extended him a job offer. And I remember they asked Robin Black to do some things for them. So they've done some stuff 
they've gotten out there a little bit in terms of realizing that the world is this is a remix world and fans want to engage with the content on their terms they want to touch the footage not quite in a literal way but they want to handle it they want to they want to use it they want to share it in in ways that make sense to them and from their eyes and they're able to do that with a host of other kind of content that they come across in their life why can't they do it with ufc footage well you know understanding the ufc wants to keep control of that stuff but you're gonna have a very very hard time convincing me that um BJJ Scout hurt the ratings for uh, uh, Cruz versus Dillashaw. That just seems like a completely terrible argument to make um, or that it was an, in any way damaging to the UFC product to have that kind of thing out there other than to say it would enable other people who steal content or take content, whatever. Someone will say, well, if BJJ Scout can do it, I can do it, and maybe that version is less... Um, you know, under the rules of fair use than what BJJ Scout did. But even then, after all the outcry, you would think they would have restored BJJ Scout's account. But hard power, guys. That's what they That's what they respect. Uh, okay, Dana's comments on contacting Aldo for championship fights. He says, quote, I love Jose Aldo. I'll call him today, Wednesday, and we'll talk to decide what's ne- who's next for him. Asked if the conversation would be to set a new fight for the belt. White was emphatic, yes. Um, we'll see. Is he going to fight for a vacated 145? Is he going to get the next one if Connor wins or loses? What's it? What's it going to be here? So we'll see. Connor versus Wonder Boy. Not going to answer that one. Uh, the state of the heavyweight division in 2016, Ben Rothwell is favored to KO Junior Dos Santos at Fight Night Zagreb. Am I the only one who is saddened by this? Saddened only in the sense that I don't I don't like one guy more than another in this particular case, but sad in the sense that uh, boy Dos Santos has been ravaged by the Kane Wars and, um, and the Stipe War. And it has now fundamentally altered his career and uh man what a bad state he's in huh i mean he's still good enough to fight i suppose but um but you know look if rothwell wins he deserves to keep going and if not he doesn't i don't know what else to say about it i almost hope that dos santos doesn't win only because if he does it's like you know you're gonna have to fight someone even worse than ben rothwell which is already a nightmare uh, fight, but yeah, it's the only thing that's sad, I'm saddened by it is not that I dislike Rothwell. Other than it, it, it's not that at all. It's, it's that poor old Dos Santos has taken a dramatic, dramatic beating in his career. Mayhem, really? Did you watch the completely absurd video Mayhem released? How is there a sanctioning body in the world that would allow him to fight? Plus, with his recent trouble. With police, I'm surprised he can even leave the country. Thoughts? Uh, someone says he was just arrested again on February 2nd. I don't know if that's true, but it might be. Yeah, let me just say something here. This is a larger point we have to discuss, and I'll get to more of it later when we talk about um, you know, Bellator next week because I'm going. And people are like, why are you going to that? You hate CM Punk. And I'm like, trust me, I'm not going because I'm interested in seeing Kimbo Slice and Dada as any kind of competitive affair. There's actually a much bigger... There's a much bigger picture to witness there 
those two fights are irrelevant. I don't even care about them. It's about Bellator trying to write itself and assert itself that I care about. That to me is the bigger story. Uh, and the one that's only interesting, I, asking Dada five thousand like why he's got some sort of rivalry with Kimbo Slices, you know, in one ear out the other for me. Um, but they're all kind of related in a, in a, in a little way, which is to say, um, now this fight's overseas, so this is not the most relevant issue directly. Which is to say, we often blame promoters, and many much blame is being put on. Bellator for their upcoming choices. Now, of course, Mayhem is fighting in a show in Italy. It should be noted he's not fighting on a Bellator show. I don't want to conflate the two too much. Um, and in Italy, to my knowledge, there's not a very robust regulatory environment to protect guys like that from themselves. Although I suppose one could argue that him competing is actually what keeps him on the straight and narrow. I'd be willing to entertain that a little bit, but not much. Um, I, I doubt that's a very serious claim. But the question about this is, even if it doesn't happen in Mayhem in Italy, how about Lieben to Bellator? Right? That, is, that should make you a little bit uncomfortable. How about Vanderlei Silva to Bellator if that happens? How about Melvin Manhoff still competing? Here's the bigger issue to me. When you ask Coker about these guys, he has a very interesting response every time. And it's one that there's not much of an answer to. Which is, well, I mean, I'm not putting on a non-sanctioned show here whatever state they're in, California, Texas, whatever, these guys have professional licenses to compete. Like there's, they can, they can fight. They've been, they've been vetted. So I'm allowed to book them. And that's true. That's really true. What that tells me is the ability to get a professional license. And again, the mayhem situation is slightly different, but, but even if we're not talking about something, something as, as, a much of a crazy situation as the mayhem one, just the Lieben one. It is easy to get a professional license from athletic commissions. You got two guys in Hoist and Ken who are about to be a combined 100 years old, and they both have professional licenses. It's not that hard, really, not that hard. And so you can say the promoter should have, you know, um, the promoter should exercise some discretion about this. And to the UFC's credit, they do. But the UFC does, partly because they maybe certain belief, they have certain beliefs about fighter welfare, but also because they have, a much, they have much more to lose if something goes bad for them. Partly they're trying to maintain a certain product, so if guys are too old and can't fight anymore, there's not a lot of interest in keeping them around. But more than that, even if there is someone like Chuck Liddell who you know, potentially could have still drawn at the box office, long past the time where he should have been fighting and he got stopped eventually of course but i'm saying had he kept going through there he could have sold some more tickets but the ufc basically said you know this this could end real badly for us they have much more to lose than a secondary player you know they they know that there's going to there's going to be some kind of cte lawsuit coming down the line at some point that's why they're part of this cleveland clinic brain study and that's that's partly why they've got insurance that they're giving to, insurance to giving someone to uh, accident insurance they give to the fighters that's also probably to stave off some uh, potential lawsuit claims regarding independent contractor versus employee, but you get the idea. They have a little bit more to lose by hanging on to things. They're a brand. They're the number one brand. They're the forward brand. If something bad happens to them as a consequence of having an aging or diminished fighter who has a lot of uh, miles on him, they suffer much more and the industry suffers much more as a consequence. The whole thing can be affected versus if it happens on a smaller show has very little effect. Even when they have it on national TV, if, if God forbid it ever came to that, 
it just wouldn't carry the same kind of risk and significance. And I think UFC understands that, which is why they're a little bit more proactive about it. And again, there might be some actual company ethos about it. But but promoters like Bellator, they have very they, look. I'm not saying they don't have any risk in carrying guys who have this burden, um, who have miles on them. But they also have. It's also in their interest to book Chris Lieben. He fought on Spike. He could be in some compelling bouts. They have a much greater need because talent is at a much more of a premium outside of the UFC. There's very, there's much less of it, and they it's hard to get a hold of and make use of. So they have to be a little bit. This is why I can never be a promoter. They got to be a little bit dodgy with it. Uh, to me, saying, "Well, the promoter should exercise more discretion." There's not a lot of incentive for them to exercise discretion. The job to protect the health and safety of the fighters falls on the commission, and it is alarmingly easy to get a license to fight, period. Forget a scenario where you have mayhem in Italy where I'm not sure there's even any kind of regulatory uh, apparatus at all. It is very, very easy to get a license to fight even when you're 52 years old. It is very, very easy to get a license to fight even when you're in your late 30s, early 40s, and you've been knocked out a number of times. That should scare you more than a promoter saying, well, this guy got a license, and I'm, I'm booking a sanctioned fight. Everything I'm doing is above board and legal, because that's all true. The question is, should that be legal? Should, not, should this guy have a license? That, I think, is a question we got to start asking ourselves a little bit more honestly. Looking to a promoter to go against their own interest, uh, or certainly their own short-term interest, and in maybe case even long-term in some cases, you know, on the on, for, to the benefit of fighter safety, I think I'm not saying the question's not valid, but the real central question is the commissions here. That's their fundamental and sole responsibility: regulating the sport. And they're given licenses to guys for what seems to me very little scrutiny. Connor versus Lawler for the welterweight belt. My God, this guy hasn't even fought at lightweight yet. We're already talking about this. Please stop. All right. What is better, an extremely elite striker that becomes proficient in wrestling and jiu-jitsu, let's say Stephen Thompson, or an extremely elite wrestler that becomes proficient in striking, let's say Josh Koscheck? Well, how about, well, let's say TJ Dillashaw. Now, I wouldn't call him an extremely elite wrestler, a very good one, but has become a very good striker. It seems as if Thompson's striking game was chess to Hendrix's checkers, like you mentioned. If more elite strikers cross over to MMA and learn the ground game and offense on defense, how much will this impact the MMA game in the future going forward? This is not about taking elite strikers who just didn't realize how good they all were, and we gave them a little bit of wrestling, and now they're just going to take over. That's not what this is. The act of teaching wrestling to elite strikers has gotten better. And Thompson has taken to wrestling in ways that many strikers before him never could, despite the same amount of effort putting in in the gym. you got to understand the difference here. There are many strikers who have come before Stephen Thompson who have put in just as much labor to get better and just couldn't. Not everyone can get good at wrestling who is also good at striking. So understand that. The second part is we're living in an age where sharing best practices about wrestling and about how to get better have been much better developed. That's much more advanced than it used to be. 
We know exactly the kinds of things you're probably going to face. We have much better methods of teaching them. And so guys are able to get better a little bit quicker than they used to and have a little bit more complete set. They don't have it. They don't have extraneous knowledge about takedowns. They're never going to use or take down defense that they're never going to have to encounter. They got a much more direct focused route to the things that matter. But this is not like, wow, look at all these kickboxers we just ignore. Like, you can go to glory. You can pick at random five guys, give them two years of wrestling training, and all of a sudden they'll just be taken over. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Those All five of them may never develop the kind of thing you need to get good at defensive wrestling. That is a that is Thompson's improvement is an improvement to the development of best practices in the industry and a testament to his own ability to have a wide application of his athletic ability. That's what that is. The two working together. So everyone's like, well, let's just get some of these strikers and teach them how to sprawl. Not going to work. Not going to work. Some guys just won't take to it. They just won't. It's like saying, oh, I got five dogs. I can teach them all how to be champion because I'm I've trained one champion dog before. Well, actually, that's not quite right. It would be... You get the, forget it. Just ignore that stupid point altogether. <laughs> Understand what I'm saying. This is not this is not us being unable to identify. Th- this is not us misunderstanding the nature of MMA. Geez, we just got to teach these strikers how to wrestle. Some strikers can't be taught how to wrestle. They don't. They don't. They don't get good at it. It's not automatic. It's not automatic. Not everyone who trains jiu-jitsu becomes a black belt, much less a competitive one much less a world champion of the competitive one. like it, That's reserved for very few people. What, what makes Thompson great is that he can do all those things. But that also makes him unique. Um, from my inbox, someone asked me this via email. What are your opinions on Woodley stating Wonder Boy does not deserve a title shot? He argued he should fight Rory first, but by that logic, surely Woodley is undeserving. Woodley lost to Rory in his last fight um, by split decision. Okay, this is not English. Woodley lost to Rory and in his last fight won by split decision to a Gastelum who had weight-cutting issues. Outside of that, his biggest wins are Don Kyung Kim and Koscheck. I don't feel Woodley should be rewarded for winning a fight versus Condit through injury. Look, Woodley likes to lobby on behalf of the things. Uh, he likes to lobby on behalf of his own interests and makes arguments for it in the media. I'm not saying all oh, they're going to be awesome arguments, but that's what he does. He lobbies effective, and for the most part, somewhat effectively. Um, if you don't think the argument makes sense, that's fine. It doesn't have to, but just understand the greater context here is that's a thing Woodley likes to do. He likes to make explicit arguments for himself and do it on as big a media channel and distribution channel as he can. All right, who would you pick to win? Lombard versus Hendricks. Man. That's a tough one. Um, Maybe Hendricks? I don't know. Weidman versus Romero. Probably Weidman. Velasquez versus Miocic. Velasquez, Ryan Hall versus Gilbert Burns, Burns, unfortunately, Felder versus Duffy, probably Duffy, Almeida versus Lineker, Almeida, uh, although he gets hit a lot early, Scoggins versus Horiguchi, I think Scoggins has more upside for his future when it's all said and done, but if I had to fight right now, 
maybe Horiguchi. But it'll be close. I mean, that's a tight one. Tune-up fights, true-false. Luke, you've talked a few times about tune-up fights. Considering that it's hard to see the UFC pro promoting these fights for champions, tell us if these non-champs should get a tune-up fight. Number one, Gustafson. I absolutely think he should get a tune-up fight. Two, Mendez. Uh, probably not. Three, Nick Diaz. Also probably not because he just fights a certain way. He doesn't get – he doesn't – he trains a lot. I don't think he ever gets too rusty in that way. GSP. I mean, if you really was serious about a title run, yes. If not, no. Tim Kennedy, no. Velasquez, yes. Nurmagomedov, yes. I know he has a fight book with Ferguson, but yes. Pettis, yes. Rory McDonald, yes. Rousey, yes. Fantasy BJJ matches. When you say BJJ, I'm assuming... Let's see who these are. When you say BJJ, you got to define the rule set. Okay, you got one. Would you take in a BJJ match with no gi, no time limit? Let's assume that there's you're allowed to reap. Let's assume that you can do all kinds of heel hooks and everything else. Barnett versus Rothwell, Barnett. Barnett versus Verdum, Verdum. Maya versus Paul Harris, Maya, handily. Penn versus Aldo. Aldo. I know it's going to make people go crazy, but Aldo, as a brown belt, beat Cobrinha. His jiu-jitsu is awesome and is much more athletic right now. Um, Rockhold versus Jacare. Jacare. But that would be interesting, too, because Rockhold's much better than people think he is. Uh, I'm going to jump one here because I think this is the most interesting question. I've been thinking about it. All day yesterday, and I thought about it all day today. Fight pass, Viacom, and cord cutting. Let me say something really quickly. I think this is the story to pay attention to right now. Now, this is going to be a story moving at a glacial pace. No doubt about it. Until it doesn't which is to say this is going to move at a glacial pace, a glacial pace, and then all at once I think everything is going to crumble, or at least if not crumble, dramatically alter itself. Here's the question. Viacom's recent revenue issues bring up the valuable conversation on what is materially the future of the UFC viewing platform. Do you believe UFC will actually re-sign with Fox to renew their contract, or should they pull the plug to roll to Fight Pass in the United States? This is largely an a issue as Canada, others, Fight Pass, have the FS1 and Fox content live already. Let me just start with one thing here. I don't want to talk about this because um, I'm going to be in Houston next week. And again, I've been very vocal about CM Punk. And, um, and yet here I am going to this Kimbo Slice fight, or whatever you want to call this event. Again, I don't really care about that fight at all or the main event. They mean nothing. It, it, it's not that. We need to start connecting the dots a little bit here. This is what I mean when I say what a what a how it's all related. Spike has lost uh, millions already in household reach. Now they still have quite a big reach, and in fact, they have a number of very successful programs. You can laugh at cops. Cops easily does over a million two all the time. They've got that lip sync battle, which they had Beyonce on. They did almost 5 million viewers. They've got uh, Ink Master, another show, uh, Bar Rescue, another show. Like They've got program that's delivering for them. 
want to make that clear. But if you did not see the news yesterday, it was shocking. It will go up and fluctuate a little bit more, but the earnings, the projected earnings of the Viacom company did not meet projections. The stock sank 15% in a day. In a day. And there's any kind of analysis you can read about this. Um, again, Spike's doing well in all kinds of different ways. But if you look at what Viacom's properties are, Comedy Central, Spike, Nickelodeon, uh, MTV, um, you know, um, the, the movie studios, some aren't producing what they should be. Some are. The movie studios are not. I think they're one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest movies they had all year was that dad movie between Will Ferrell and um, Mark Wahlberg, which was which was not a like a, a blockbuster movie. I think they did have one blockbuster, but like this is not they're not out there killing the game. Let's put it that way. But here's the key consideration: everyone talks about these Kimbo Slice and Hoist Gracie, and how can Bellator do that? And if you're only looking in here in the MMA world, those bookings don't make sense. But once you begin to expand the scope and connect some of the dots a little bit, it all makes sense. doesn't make it appetizing or really even interesting, but it makes sense. You mean to tell me, and the stock I think went down, I think the value of Viacom dropped 15% in the last two years altogether, if not more than that. Okay, this is a, this is a trend. The internet already destroyed the newspaper and, frankly, the larger and disrupted the larger journalism model. It didn't kill off all newspapers, killed off a lot, but it, it fundamentally re-altered here. That is exactly what is about to happen to television, and Viacom is caught up in it. Bellator is interesting because it does one of the things that will delay and slow the kind of degradation that we're already seeing. It does live sports. It does, uh, you know, the DVR proof kind of thing. It makes go-to programming on um, on Spike, and and we all know if you book Kimbo Slice over, say, Michael Chandler, well, as much as Michael Chandler is liked as a as a fighter and as good as he is as a headliner, he can't compare to Kimbo Slice. But even that's not the real. That doesn't tell you the full story. The full story to me is you look at Viacom's. Stock dropping 15% in a day. And you mean to tell me they're not looking down every single corporate asset they have and saying to themselves, you better make sure that whatever you put on, you're putting on without question the highest rated product you can give us. Whatever will deliver the greatest return. People are asking, why isn't Bellator taking more time to groom themselves and doing less of the freak show things? Because Viacom is changing underneath our feet, and they do not have the luxury. Fact. They don't have it. When you look at their stock sinking 15%, and you realize what kind of ratings Kimbo can do, and what Shamrock and Gracie is probably going to do. I mean, maybe it, maybe it tanks. I don't know, but it's presumed that it's going to do well. Then that makes sense because they, did you see what they did for Bellator? What, 148? They did less than 600,000 viewers. Folks, that's terrible. That's terrible. That was the Paul Daly card and Couture versus Patricky Freire and all that. They will go out of business doing that. That is a bridge to nowhere. I understand Will Brooks's complaints about why are these guys who can't really fight being promoted over him? And if he's upset about it, no one's here to tell him he's wrong, least of all me. 
But if you're at Viacom and you're looking down at your Bellator assets and you're saying to yourself, well, when you book these kinds of fighters, you get this result. And when you book these kinds of fighters, you get this result. And oh, by the way, what's happening to our company? Where are we going to be in five years? Are we, going to, are we going to be around in five years? Let me read you a quote that this is from the Bernstein Research Group had analyzed this and they were talking about again if you look at some of the assets that viacom has it's not merely mtv although you know that that appeals to people in their 20s and, and teens you have nickelodeon another big one as well um it's it's much more than that let me read you this quote here and you see there was a big deal that uh, viacom started with snapchat to do some advertising on there around some uh, of the um some of the content which is which is a win for both Ready for this? Here's a quote about Viacom. Bernstein research analyst Todd Junger, how do you pronounce his name, said, quote, We continue to hold the view that the old business of serving kids and teens with linear TV networks is doomed. And the new business of serving kids and teens with on-demand, digitally delivered entertainment is unlikely to be won by Viacom. Now, look, the New York Times has suffered any kind of disruptions, and it's still the New York Times in whatever state you want to say it is. Just because they're suffering the result of this industry disruption does not mean Viacom is going away. In fact, it may persist for forever in some form or another. And in fact, they're still making money, billions of dollars. Let's be clear about this. But, but there is a lot of shakeup in that company from the executive uh, uh, leadership all the way on down. And I can just tell you, this has massive implications for all of the different properties, not least of which Bellator, which is supposed to provide not only higher ratings, but you know, be that DVR proof kind of um, entity that, that Viacom needs. To me, when everyone talks about why is Kimbo Sliced book here and why is that book there, to me, it's the same thing as saying, why does Fox Sports 1 bore us to death by allotting half an hour for every fight on their broadcast, even if it only takes five minutes. Because generally speaking, no one's watching Fox Sports 1, except when they put on, let's say, baseball playoffs, or when they put on UFC Tonight, or UFC Live programming. Then lots of people watch. So they just string you along because they need the viewers to pay for the advertising. I'm not telling you to like it. I'm not telling you to watch it. I'm not telling you to enjoy it. I'm just telling you to look at the broader picture here. And now you ask about Fight Pass. This should tell you why Anderson Silva versus Michael Bisping is competing on, is taking place on Fight Pass. Because the UFC realizes by the time they re-up that deal, the time it's really time to re-up that television deal, who knows what kind of money is going to be available. Maybe it's the same. Maybe it doesn't change too much. But it looks to me, and they mentioned today, how about this? Today, Disney, which owns ESPN, their stock is tanking due to ESPN's declining subscriber base. How many of you are out there saying to yourself, man, you know what? If I could get sports another way than TV, I would cancel my subscription. Hand raise, I would. My cable bill is $180 a month because I get so many channels. You think I, w- I don't want to offload that? That's not even including my internet. <laughs> I'm getting horrid over here. The world is changing, folks. The world is changing, and it sounds crazy, but I am certain. And if you ask folks at Spike, I bet what they would tell you is, well, we always have a premium for ratings. That's true. But imagine if the ratings were sky high and they were killing it. They wouldn't have as much of this freak show element. 
This is not just necessary to people think it's just compete with the UFC. No, no. It's because Viacom is changing and every other giant old television corporation is changing underneath our feet. And they have to make sure that they have the they use the resources they have to get the maximum amount of viewers. So I don't care about any rivalry between Kimbo Slice and Dada 5000. It means nothing to me. I don't care at all about seeing Ken Shamrock fight Hoist Gracie. I hope they both get paid and they go on about their day. I wish them not well or not evil or bad at all. This is this is not why you cover Bellator. You cover Bellator because you're wondering, whoa, what's happening here? What's happening here? You look at Bell- the Viacom's w- websites for Spike.com, MTV.com. They'll air shows and then immediately they will go up on online the next day. Top Chef, same thing for the Bravo Network. The world is changing, folks. I'm telling you, and this to me is such a huge, huge, huge story. That's why I care so much about covering in this particular circumstance. I want to see what Bellator is doing. Not because I care about these, these fights. I don't care about that at all. I, I want to know how this is going to affect MMA. Because we all thought, wow, Viacom signed Bellator. They got money for life. And they might. Viacom might hang around like the New York Times did, which is still the preeminent journalism outlet in the world of this country. They may, they may find a way to evolve, but for the UFC too, because of Fox Sports deal, a storm is coming. A storm is coming, and I want to see who gets snatched up in it, and you should pay attention to that too. All right. Hendrix's weight. How much of a factor do you think Hendrix's weight played in this fight against Wonderboy? I don't know how much weight played a factor, but Wonderboy looked from a frame perspective to be infinitely larger <laughs> he looked to be like another another weight class up man so i don't but what's Hendricks gonna do he's gonna go fight guys at at 185 pounds he's way too small for that he's just a dense i don't mean here i mean here a dense guy and uh i don't know what he can really do about that Would you like to see Connor go full WWE mode and create his own belt? I'm not answering that. Big Cage, Little Cage, Lawler versus Wonderboy Thompson. Great question. If two fights were booked between Champ Lawler and Wonderboy Thompson, one in the big cage and the other in the small cage, how would the fights differ in the action and eventual outcome, in your opinion? So it was interesting. I was reading the comments in YouTube, which I know I normally don't, on the last Monday Morning Analyst I did, and someone made, I thought, a very interesting point. They said, if you look at... Because I made a point that like Thompson's style is very much benefited by having that big cage. I think we can all agree with that. And someone made a very interesting point in the comments. They said, the blueprint to beating Thompson is to see how Nikki Holtzkin beat Raymond Daniels. Now, I was there for their first fight. They fought twice. Uh, I believe Holtzkin has won both. Second one was much closer, as I understand it. The first one I was that was actually a year ago this month. Uh, it was for uh, the glory in uh, Hampton, Virginia. And I saw that with my own eyes, and there's a lot of truth to that, except the glory ring is A, smaller than the octagon, and B, at right angles. It's going to be much harder for Nikki Holtzkin to beat Raymond Daniels if they fought in an octagon. Much harder. Much, much harder. You can hit and get away a lot easier than you can if you're Holtzkin where you can cover up and you have big gloves. 
wait until a guy turns into a corner and then just bang on him. That really is not a big opportunity for you. It's, hard, it's going to be much harder to corner guys in that way. So my point to you is I would actually maybe favor Thompson in the big cage. In the little cage, I might actually favor Lawler. Lawler would be much more able to work at close range. And if you wanted to, I don't know how good his offensive wrestling I don't know how good his offensive wrestling is anymore because we don't see a whole lot of it, but it at least gives him a fighting chance. More questions about the same thing. What do you think of the longevity of the joke where you attribute quotes to Kenny Florian? I mean, people still do that to Brian Williams, right? So not going to go away anytime soon, I guess. All right. I'm going to do this because I'm going to read in a little bit. Uh, true, false. A new episode of Luke Thomas's Pissed is coming this month. False. I've basically quit doing those. I guess I'll make an announcement about it. I haven't stopped doing them altogether. I might do a couple a year, but uh, I'm much more invested in this podcast, in the Monday Morning Analyst, and some other projects I'm working on uh, than I am that, which was fun, but I don't really do that anymore. I mean, I, again, you might see a couple of them once in a while, but but it's probably not, not, not hardly at all. Uh, Carlos Condit will fight again this year, but not for the title. I'll say true. Bellator will sign at least three UFC top 10 fighters this year. I'll say false. Mighty Mouse will finish Cejudo within three rounds. False. Rampage Jackson, GSP, and Little Nog will not fight again. Ooh, True. RDA McGregor goes the distance. False. If Frank Mir can put Hunt down, he will submit him. It's a good one. False. Uh, no, true. I'll say true. Eddie Alvarez has a better chance against McGregor than Dos Anjos. I'd say about the same, so I'll say false. Uh, Sirkunov is a real potential for title contendership. A little slow, I'll say. Maybe true. After another loss, Jared Rochelle will be released. Please say true. Possible. Certainly possible. Will Brooks, should he be in the UFC already? You know, I don't know what to say about that. Brooks obviously is just unhappy in Bellator. What are you going to do? Not everyone who's in the UFC is happy with UFC, and not everyone who's in Bellator is happy with Bellator. And obviously the two organizations are not nearly the same. They don't even really do the same kind of thing. They don't offer the same kind of product hardly at all. So I'm not comparing them one-to-one. I'm just saying wherever you're at, you're going to have some measure of disgruntled employees. And sometimes they'll have a good reason to be disgruntled, you know. I just feel like I mentioned before, you know, Brooks, I think, feels like he is maximized as far as he can go in Bellator for the most part. He's feel like he, I think he feels like he's maximized as much as Bellator is going to give to him, and he wants to go see if there's something else out there, particularly a big, big, huge show like the UFC that might do a lot more for him, especially since he probably feels like he can compete with the best they have there. And he probably can, you know? So I just think it comes down to that. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's much more complicated. Uh, let's do some more true false, true false. Frankie Edgar is harder potential fight for McGregor than RDA false. Bisping will outpoint Silva, man. I don't know about that fight. That's a good one. Isn't it? Um, I'll say false. It's too soon in his development of Cejudo to face DJ. True. Uh, Punk, uh, Gall, 
will be a more entertaining fight than Shamrock and Hoist. Only because of Gall. So I'll say true. Dos Santos is an odd pick to face Rothwell next. No, false. Just a coincidence that fighters have found new training regimens to lean out at the same time testing for PEDs got tougher. Um, maybe just a coincidence. I'll say true. Uh, Johnny Hendricks is done as a contender. False. You would love to be able to talk openly about which fighters you suspect believe know to be utilizing various performance-enhancing substances as part of your fight analysis. Oh, that is so true. Oh, that is so true. Uh, what did you make of Alvarez's assertion and argument for him being the number one contender in the lightweight division? I didn't agree with it, but um, I don't really, I don't really care about that here or there. Do you give any credence to Alvarez's analysis of Connor? I do feel like there's a lot more about Connor's ground game we don't know. Now, I'm not one of these clowns who's out there being like, he, we totally untested. It's clear that if you want to bang with him on the feet, you really need to have a lot of, uh, you need to be able to match his reach and you need to have a lot of movement yourself. And if you can't, you probably shouldn't do too much of it. Um, he takes a hell of a shot. It is just not, it's just not good right now. But on the ground, that does seem to be very mineable territory. Now, how far and how much gold you can mine in those hills, I don't know. But um, that that his emphasis on fight him on the ground, do not waste time on the feet, seems to me very, very correct. Can't see a damn thing. Luke, with the absence of Ronda, Cormier, and Jones, excuse me, Luke, with the absence of Ronda, Cormier versus Jones, too, booked for 197 and possible Connor loss to Dos Anjos, what huge fights are left to make at UFC 200? We've, we've talked about this a lot. There could be the return of GSP. There could be Connor with a different super fight. Connor losing, Connor losing at 155, let's say he goes out and he just gets absolutely munished, right? Let's say he does like, they, like he lost to Duffy or something. He's going to have to eat an S sandwich. There's no doubt about it, but it's not going to be the same thing as like, Rousey's lost to home where you're like, well, what does she do next? You know, well, we know what he could do next. He could go right back down to featherweight. Yeah, it's a brutal weight cut. I get it. But you still have options at the table. It's just not true that this will be the same kind of negative effect. So they could do any kind of featherweight super fight provided he's not medically ineligible to do that. I will say the UFC does seem to be running the risk of um, cutting things a little close, you know, for 200. They had three main events the last time. Remember, it was um, Hendo versus Bisping. Uh, Alves versus GSP, and then Lesnar versus Mir. That's a strong card, bro. Uh, and the rest, and John Jones fought on the prelim card of that against, I think, Jake O'Brien. That was one where he reached for the knee and then came back behind himself with the elbow. John Jones has been nasty for a while, but um, but um, I, I agree that, that that you know they need the Jones thing to work out one way or the other. Um, maybe having a heavyweight title fight on there. They don't have to have super magic on there. You need to have one major headliner and then two other really compelling ones. They need to have, you know, so they let's say they, let's say they have um, Ronda's out. Let's say they have Connor versus um, 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 Edgar. Let's just say, okay, that's top. You could have uh, Fabrizio Verdum defending his title and then John Jones. You could have John Jones defending his title and then you know do the same thing they did for 100, which was have a fight for the coaches off of the Ultimate Fighter. You know, we'll see how that works out. Uh, I guess they're not going to do that because they're going to fight the night before, so that won't work. All right, so that's out too. Um, let me think. You have to have some other kind of super fight, someone jumping up a weight class, 
somebody coming down a weight class, something like that to really make that. You need to have the three. I think that's really key. If the rest of the card blows, but you have three just insane fights, two of which are for a title, and one of which features a big, major, major, major superstar, Conor McGregor and John Jones are in a card together, and there's a third fight where, you know, let's say um, I'm going to make something up. Weidman fights Verdum or something. Um, or I don't know. I don't know. Just you get the idea. Some kind of crazy weight class change. That that I think will be more than sufficient. Let's go to the Twitter machine while we have time. Do you think we could see McGregor on Fox Sports 1 in his career now? Probably not anytime soon. Why is Bellator adding women's 125-145 division? Why are they flying under the radar? Because they haven't really debuted them to American audiences yet. 145 has just been kind of in a holding pattern. They've only signed just a couple of 125-pound ta- talents. They should get that going this year, so we'll see. That's something I plan on asking on, on next week. How great would a welterweight or heavyweight main card be right now? An all-welterweight, all-heavyweight card could be phenomenal. Luke, what did you think of Eddie Alvarez's piece on MMA fighting on how to beat McGregor? Well, since I wrote it, um, I don't think much of it. I mean, I just talked about it. Over, under, on 50% chance CM Punk ever fights in the UFC. I will take the under. I still think he fights in the UFC. But you have to say, this injury, the latest one, what a nightmare scenario. Wow. (laughs) I mean, you know, 37 years and years of professional wrestling I'm sure his body's been torn to, to 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 pieces training mma is hard on your body folks it's hard and it's hard to pick up skills if you're hurt it's just it's just hard you know this is it's a young man sport for a reason all sports are for young men for the most part um he's got a long road ahead boy should fighters like rochalt who offer very little be put on the fight pass cards. Yes. True or false? This weekend should be the last Bellator what, D- Wisco, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot event, a D- what, WTF event. Guys, if you're just viewing Bellator here, it will never make sense. And like Fox Sports 1 doing the terrible things by making broadcasts so long, not asking you to like it. I don't like it myself. Why would I ask you to like something I don't like? If you don't like Bellator doing that, you should complain because the more Benson Hendersons they can sign, the less they have to rely on that kind of stuff to to market themselves. So if you don't like the Kimbo Slice stuff, say it. If you don't like the Hoist versus um, uh, Ken stuff, say it. Say it there. Say it loud. Let them hear you. But also understand what's happening here as it as I speak to you today. I bet you with corporate mandates being what they are, they are left without a single choice about what else to put on there. 15% drop in stock price in one day. Mike Pyle had an amazing performance against a really solid fighter. Do you have any fun matchup for him next? That's a good question. Um, Huh. I have to think about that one. That's a great one. I don't know. Uh, 
Could you give a live chat shout out to my coach and fifty fight vet Brock Larson who retired this week? Brock Larson was the sec was the first fighter I ever interviewed over the phone, um, and was I think from um, Brainerd, Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, nice guy. So good luck to him in the next chapter of his career. Someone asking about CM Punk. I don't know how to answer that. Um, after his last performance, I wonder if Artem Lobov is a UFC caliber fighter. Your thoughts, please. If he is, you know, there's a certain tier. There's tiers to the UFC, and there's that bottom tier. If he is, he's, you know, he's in that tier. But even that's probably a little bit debatable. Do you think Ronda not using the strength and conditioning program aided her downfall? No, she did not lose lose because she lacked strength or conditioning. If UFC 200 was free, how many viewers would it do? Millions. Millions and millions. Is Roy Nelson done as a headliner, co-headliner? No. Dust of Sin, for obvious and understandable reasons, seemed very depressed on the MMA Hour this week. Who should be next for him? I really think a tune-up. I'm, I'm so glad someone asked about it because I really think the tune-up fights are the most important things you can do there. That's the most... That's the most um, um, he, needs, he needs to be eased back into things. Just throwing him to the fire again. You say, well, we, that, that's the competitive, you know... Um, he, he needs some kind of grand goal to aspire to. No, he needs to have the, the flame is almost out. He needs to have the flame stoked a little bit before it becomes a roaring blaze again. That's what I think. Uh, let's see. Have you seen the Gary Tonin, Paul Harris training camp videos on Instagram? They're hilarious. Yeah, like him and uh, Gordon Ryan. You guys know who Gordon Ryan is. He's like the next big thing. But him and Gordon Ryan are out there, and they're practicing eye pokes, and they're using Hulk hands on um, – Heel hooks and stuff. It's pretty funny. Let's see what else we got. God, there's like so much in my feed that has nothing to do with this chat. Uh, Nate Corey and Mola Wall have been having a back and forth on my Twitter feed. Let's clog it up. All right, let's go back to the chat here if we can for just a second for the time we have left. Uh, let's see. Submission takes on the fence. It's a super long question. Agree or disagree? Benavides and Palmer are joining Elevation Fight Team full time and will be locked out by Faber. Maybe Palmer. I don't know about Benavides. More young alpha male fighters starting starting to move elsewhere. Uh, that's probably not true. Now, Cody Nolov is only taking Faber's side to angle for a fight with Dillashaw. He will continue to train with Jackson Wink and make soon make the move. No, false. Faber doesn't stand a chance against Dillashaw. True. Where Chad Mendez ends up determines how good his future career will be. No, false. Justin Buckles, while an elite corner man, will not make a great head coach. I don't think that's true. I think he'll make a very good head coach.
when asking about the Beyonce halftime performance. I actually did not think it was, I had no idea. Have you, like, look, I don't have anything against Beyonce. I think she's fine. You know, she's a pretty woman. She sings well. Um, she has a lot of songwriters. She has a lot of handlers. She has a lot of help with all her choreography. She's not a very original in that regard. Um, but she's fine. I don't have anything against her. But then you read headlines the next day, and they seem so deeply out of touch. I guess I'm out of touch. But they all say things like perfection, you know, fierce. Uh, here was her flawless performance that saved the Super Bowl halftime show. I agree she was a step up from Coldplay, but that's not saying a whole lot. I, I, I don't understand the uh, the language of uh, that follows the media coverage of Beyonce. They act like she is some otherworldly talent we have never seen before. She's all right. She's not great. <laughs> There's nothing particularly magical about it. Like it's good. I'm not, it's not, definitely not saying it's bad. The the you know s- <laughs> Beyonce's fierce flawlessness saved the halftime show. I mean, she took part in it. The f are y'all talking about? I'll never understand that. Are the days of waiting for a title shot? I can't read with this microphone on my face. Are the days of waiting for a title shot coming to an end? With Kane Velasquez getting hurt before his bout with Verdum after six months of waiting for a rematch, Woodley apparently getting lost in the shuffle after not fighting for over a year, and Frankie Edgar getting passed over time and time again, it seems like fighters are no longer incentivized to wait for a title shot. Do you think we're going to start to see fighters staying more active? Yeah, I do think so a little bit because. I mean, they have an incentive to want to wait because they feel like, okay, I did so great. Let's take Frankie Edgar, right? I did so great in this performance and I've locked it in. Actually, that's not a good example. The one at welterweight is better. But the point being is this. There are so many fights. What a fighter thinks is, look how important this was. Look what everyone said about it beforehand and look how good I did. And they're right. The problem is um, there are other fights coming up whose significance and impact they're impossible to countenance while you're talking about and witnessing a fight, you know, three months before, six months before that. The value of those things change over time. You know, the win has to be absolutely spectacularly huge to have real lasting value as more fights in the division happen, especially among their contemporaries in the upper echelon. You know, so we could say, well, Woodley was kind of close to a title shot and, and whatever else the case may be, and there's a little bit of lack of clarity there. You know, Demi Maia is good, but one-sided, and then Thompson comes out and does this. Thompson was a massive underdog. No one really considered him to be, you know, maybe even the favorite to get a title shot until, until you know, what, Sunday morning or 1, 2, 2 a.m. in East Coast time. That's how the, 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 the landscape changes underneath your feet to reference the Viacom thing, but it changes underneath your feet if you're a contender the more time you wait. So, like, waiting like that, it, sometimes it can work if there's, you know, um, the division's been cleaned out and you're an obvious contender. And, and like, in the case with Frankie Edgar, you know, maybe Aldo gets it, maybe he doesn't, but obviously he's put himself in a decent position to make a claim on it. But, you know, the more time passes, if Aldo comes back, and again, he won't do this, but let's just say Aldo came back and took a, even a tune-up fight, and he just waxed somebody, and then gave an epic post-fight speech to John Anik, people are going to be like, okay, the next fight has to be Aldo. Forget whatever Edgar did against Mendez. It won't, it won't have the same kind of effect anymore because the, the, you only hold that at a moment in time. 
And once the moment begins to expand, the the value of that just be, becomes less and less and less. So you can hold it for a little while. It, I'm not saying it doesn't make sense because if you, if you beat Mendez, who's Edgar supposed to fight except Aldo or McGregor at this point? Like he doesn't have a lot of great options. But um, but yeah, it, it is going to become increasingly difficult with, with, when they're doing 40 plus shows a year. Good question. UFC Fight Night 100. Will this be treated as a mega event? I haven't heard a peep about it. It should take place in only about a year. Um, don't know. Good question. You would think they'll do something special about it, but I don't know. RL's flavor of the month on the Monday mo- on the, on Mondays on the MMA Hour. RL can't stop gushing over the newest hype train, James Glory. James Glory is not the newest hype train. He's just great. He's a relentlessly positive person who is quite enjoyable to be around, and we're all better for having him around. So that's the end of that. Um, so is any update on Rampage to Bellator? I don't know, but I'm going to try and find out. That's funny. Let's do one more. Uh, post-fight Facebook videos. Luke, will you be doing more videos? If so, will they only be on pay-per-view fight night? Maybe even a good Bellator fight. Uh, I'm going to do a bunch more on Facebook. If you guys don't follow me on Facebook, I have my own uh, verified uh, page. You can get on there. I'm going to do videos there and on the MMA fighting page. So like either or, like both. Um, there's gonna be, Facebook has this new system called Facebook Live. It's like Periscope for Facebook, only the, like, the videos don't go away after 24 hours. They get archived. And I did one on my page just as a beta test. Like I like I turned the TV down and we'll talk through the main event for Saturday. And then I did a post-fight wrap-up one as well. Just playing with different ideas. We're going to figure that out. But if you're um, on Facebook, get on there because we're going to do a lot more video exclusive just to Facebook, which is this sort of kind of thing. Okay. All right. We got to get out of here. I want to thank everyone for watching. Please give a thumbs up. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Don't forget, we're on iTunes.com slash promotional malpractice. Um, share this video on any social media channel, wherever you get it. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much. If you watch the Monday morning analyst, no big fights this weekend, but of course we'll have some fun cover- coverage for you. Um, and interesting articles and everything else. So stick around to MMAfighting.com. And, um, I guess until I, I fly out Monday night, so I'll do this Monday morning analyst on Monday. No, actually I won't. I guess next time you'll see me, it'll be on Wednesday or Tuesday, depending on what kind of stuff happens at the Bellator stuff. All right. Until next time. Thank you so much. Stay frosty.